Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. It is good for us to be together. And we do have a number of people visiting. Uh, I assume it's related to the holidays. Family people are here, and we're just so glad you're with us. And we hope you'll come back as often as you can to be with your family, but also to be with us and worship with us again. We'll open your Bibles, your New Testaments, to Matthew chapter 20, and we'll be looking into that uh, text in just a moment. Matthew chapter 20. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, not only came to become the ransom and the propitiation for mankind, he also came to proclaim good news. That is, Emmanuel had a message. He had a message from God, his Father, and it was a message that he taught and he preached diligently. That gospel about forgiveness and about salvation and about hope was and is also about a spiritual and heavenly kingdom. It is about an eternal king and about his dominion and about his citizens. Mark chapter 1 is just one passage that illustrates this aspect of the ministry and the mission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where by the Holy Spirit, Mark pins these words and tells us that after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel, the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of Christ is intricately part of a component of sounding forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ used many parables to evangelize his kingdom. And these are just a few of them. For example, in the parable of a sower, we are told that the kingdom seed is God's word, and that word falls upon the soil of individuals' hearts. And it is those hearts that determine what kind of harvest they have. And then you look in the same chapter of Matthew 13, you got another parable that we describe as the parable of the tares. We're told that there is an enemy as well. An enemy who is busy sowing bad seed. And he's sowing the bad seed among the good seed. But both of those seeds are growing. But in the harvest, only the good will be gathered and saved. And all the tares are going to be cast off, cast aside, and then burned. Mark gives us a parable, a little one, called the parable of the seed, where we are told that kingdom seed must be scattered if it's going to sprout. If you want seed to sprout, you've got to plant it. If you want seed to produce, you've got to get it in the ground. 
And so that parable illustrates that, the importance of scattering that seed so that it will sprout and grow and produce. But how that seed grows in the soil is in accord with God's power and God's increase. So this morning, I want us to look at the parable in Matthew chapter 20 that is sometimes described as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard or the workers in the vineyard. And what we see in this parable, it is the last laborers in the kingdom that are also rewarded. Now, this parable about workers in a vineyard was taught in the latter months of the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The very one in whom we just a moment ago proclaimed his death on our behalf. And we will do so as long as breath is given us and time continues. He is Lord and Christ and King and Savior. And in those latter months, he taught this parable here in Matthew chapter 20, and Matthew is the only one who records it. So with that said, let us turn our eyes to our text and let us read the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And so he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foremen, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled. They grumbled at the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. 
So here we have a vineyard landowner who basically has contracted day laborers in this parable. In Palestine, the grape harvest is in late August to early September, and there is a sense of urgency in harvesting the vineyards because it needs to be done, it needs to be completed before the rains begin. It is also at that time a customary practice that a denarius was the standard wage. That was the minimum wage. That was the standard wage for day laborers. And customarily, you, you would be paid at the end of your day's work because that directly impacted whether or not you and your family had enough to eat the next day. And so the need demanded a lot of workers when it came to the grape harvest. And so in our parable, you've got the lander, goes out and hires his first group early in the morning. But there's not enough hands to get the job done. And so needing more hands, what does he do? He goes out and he hires more. He goes back to the marketplace where people would gather and where you know, landowners would find their day laborers. And he hired more and he promised them fair pay. He didn't say what, but he promised them fair pay. And so they go and they went to work whatever time they could in that harvest that day. Because working half a day was better than no work and no money at all. But this parable takes a very uncommon turn when it is time to pay all the laborers. And so you have all the workers are gathered together, all the ones have been hired at different times during the day, and they are paid in reverse order from the order of being hired. And as we know, everybody's paid the same thing. And so whether you work 12 hours, basically you worked the entire day, or whether you only worked one hour in that day, you all got the same salary. You all got the same income. You all got the same wage. Jesus teaches this parable intending to shock man's sensitivities of justice and fairness. Think about it. Is there a tendency we want to kind of say, hey, those, that first group has a right to bring their case before the landowner? And that's how they feel. They feel that very much so. And I, and I think if we're being honest with ourselves, with God, we would be in that 12-hour, if we were hired, we'd be like those 12-hour folks. And we are shocked by the fact that we're now getting the same pay, same pay that those last-hour folks got. And so the expectations of the first hired group are jolted when their personal senses of fairness and equity are not reciprocated. When, not, when they're not reciprocated in a way that they now feel, hey, wait a minute, you know, what's fair here? 
You know, when their, when their day, day's wage is not adjusted upward for working longer, they are a little bit upset with the landowner. But in the parable, Jesus presents this landowner in such a way that he's done no wrong. He's done no wrong in paying each labor as he wanted to pay them out of his own goodness, out of his own generosity. He was true to his word. He broke no contract. He was faithful and he was fair. Now, equal pay for unequal work is not normal is not normal business practice then nor today, is it? And so this parable is unsettling if we truly put ourselves in those laborers' shoes. And in the parable, it appears to be that the landowner seems more concerned about the needs, he's more concerned about the needs of his workers above the length of time they've worked and also above how productive they were that day in his vineyard. He's more concerned about the laborer than what actually how much they produced that day. So what is the message? What is the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us here? Now there are a number of different suggested interpretations that I think have some reasonable consideration. For example, some suggest this is about people who are called and who are converted to Christ late in life. And I think that's a reasonable pondering. Hey, is that, is that the point of, point of the parable? Another one is that it's about, really, it's a warning. It's a warning about becoming carelessly overconfident. And we think, okay, now I, you kind of see a little bit of that here in this as well. Hmm. Gives me something to think about. A third one is it's a lesson related to salvation by grace, a very important theme, strong theme throughout the scriptures. And that, that gives us something to think about. Is that, is that the specific point? I think what we need to do is we need to just back up a little bit and ask this question, and that is, when it comes to this parable that is presented to us, we need to ask, what was the circumstance? What was the context which led Jesus to teach the lesson of a parable about people who work in a vineyard? So, you know, that, I think that's what we need to ask, is what, what brought this parable to the forefront on this moment to teach well, I think what it is, it relates to the phrase at the end of chapter 19 and the phrase at the end of the parable. I think this is the con contextual clue. So that we need to understand the concept, you know, what he means, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Because basically this parable is bracketed by this statement that Jesus makes. This parable is bookended by this statement. This is what we need to understand. You know, who the last are and who the first are. And I think it also, he, Jesus is trying to basically to, 
to present to us the idea of these earthly concepts and the earthly things, you know, are going to be turned upside down. Yeah, you need to think differently than you normally think in earthly settings when it comes to kingdom matters. Think about that. For as a look at the end of chapter 19, which you know, we have read already earlier, there in verse 30, when he ends the chapters, he says, many who are first will be last and the last first. This particular statement that Jesus makes in the context of chapter 19 is part of Jesus' answer to Peter's question. So so what you have here in verses 28 through 30, that is an answer to what Peter asked in verse 27. And Peter's Peter's question is a response to what Jesus said about the difficulty of entering the kingdom that is for the rich, how hard it is, the rich, for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that, admonishment, that warning about how difficult the rich have it in entering the kingdom is all related to the fact that there was a young man who walked away from Jesus because he is rich. That's the context of chapter 20. Is This whole scenario of what at the end of chapter 19. The young rich ruler, and though Jesus says about that, and then Peter's question, and then Jesus' answer, and actually chapter 20 is the ongoing answer to this question. And so what the question is this, behold, we have left everything and followed you. We have left everything, Jesus. And we find, so what then will there be for us? If it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom, you know, okay, Lord, hey, look what we have left. You, you know, they, they were there when Jesus said, okay, go sell everything you have and come follow me. So they were there. They heard what Jesus told the young man, and they saw the young man walk away. And now, and Jesus, oh, it's, it's going to be hard for rich people to go to heaven. It's hard for them because of their attachment to the things of this world, to their wealth and to their prosperity and to their achievements. It's hard to let that all go. And so Peter then says, well, We've left everything, Lord. Look what we've done. So what is it in for me now? And what this does, it, it really reveals in this moment a little bit of Peter's heart. Peter has a hireling spirit. A spirit where there is this inner concern for fairness and reciprocation. This idea that there needs to be a fair wage based on my works. That's what Peter's thinking. We've left everything, Jesus, for you, and we're following you. So what is, what is there for me now? And so Jesus talks about the idea, well, if those who have followed him are going to be blessed in all these ways, you know, even if you left your house or your family, he says, and you've done that for my sake, he says, you receive more And in the end, you'll inherit eternal life. And then he ends by saying, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And then he gives the parable, and the parable is all about telling who the last are, who the first are. This parable focuses on two groups of people. 
That's what it is. This parable is all about two groups of people. You got the first group, you got the last group. Or you got the last group, and you got the first group. That's what this parable is about. And the primary focus of the parable is not about contrasting length of time of labor. That's not the point. The point is not how long you worked or didn't work. You know, that's not the contrast, nor is it a, you know, trying to measure your productivity. That's not what this parable is about. This parable is all about attitudes. That's what it's about. This parable was for Peter and for the rest of the apostles about what, you know, about being in the kingdom and about being a worker and a laborer in the kingdom. It's all about your attitude as a kingdom worker. And so the lesson of the parable is about two kinds of people. And I describe and I describe them as the first group is the proud or the and so-called deserving laborer. And the second group is the humbly grateful worker. Those those were the it's the first and the last, and the last and the first. And, and it's about attitudes of citizens of the kingdom of Christ who are laboring in the kingdom for the king and how they see their work and the fairness of their king in their life. The first group, the first hirelings, the one there early in the morning, 6 a.m., you know, he's there at the market, they're there waiting to be hired, and, they, and they're anxious and ready to, and to get the job doing, done so they can get paid that, that by the end of the day, and they can take that home and they have food to feed their family. It's a day-to-day, you know, kind of living well, that first group worked long, and they worked hard, and that's true. You know, don't diminish the fact what the, of their labor. They worked a long day, and, but the thing is they felt that they deserved more than others in pay. And such hearts value their work as self-justification and have a tendency to be without compassion toward others. Because that group, the first hirelings, the first group in the morning who did work 12 hours in the heat of the day, that is true. And I think if we're being honest and we're, if we're in that number, we would be voicing some feelings, especially as Americans who have rights. How dare you, you know, Hold your contract, and, 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 but this person over here who paid, worked less than me, and they're getting the same thing I'm getting. Wait a minute. You know, even though I agreed to this. They think that they deserve more than that they, they actually got. But then you've got the other group, the, you know, the last hour workers who gratefully trusted the owner basically put their total trust in the landowner, the vineyard owner, that he would give what was right and needed. Once again, remember when he goes and hires, you know, you know the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour and the eleventh hour, when he goes and does that, he doesn't say what the contractual agreement is. He says, I will just pay you what is right. So it's all left up to the landowner's decision, not the laborer's decision and not the laborer's productivity. The landowner would just simply make that judgment call himself. 
Such hearts humbly rely on the fairness, on the mercy of the owner to meet their desperate needs. It's a lesson about reliance as workers in the kingdom. Are we relying on our landowner to be fair and good and right toward us? This group, in the end, gets more. They get more than they deserve. If you're talking about pay based on work, they got more than what they deserved. Titus chapter 3, I think, gives us some thought and relationship. Just think of the, the idea of the blessings that we have in Christ, all spiritual blessings and heavenly places we have in Christ. Titus is just a, a good passage to consider. And there's num- a number of others as well that you could tie in and harmonize with this idea of how do we, what is our attitude as kingdom workers, as brothers and sisters laboring day after day after day for the king and and looking to the day that we will receive our reward, what will be our attitude? Well, Paul writes to the evangelist here in the third chapter of Titus, beginning in verse four, he says, when the kindness of, our, of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, let me read that again. When the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of your generation and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This passage is not eliminating obedience of faith but it is bringing to the forefront of our minds the idea of what par- uh, of the parable of the vineyards is all about. That we as the called and the recipients of God's mercy and grace and now are laboring in the kingdom. We are working for the king. We are to be mindful of the fact that it is the kindness, the love, the mercy, the grace of God that saves us. It's not based on the deeds of our own righteousness. Are we called to be righteous? Yes. Are we called to practice God's righteousness? Yes. Are we to seek God's righteousness kingdom first? Yes. Are we to be doers of the law? Yes. But once we have done all, once we have done all, we are saved by God's kindness and love and mercy and grace. Equal productivity is not to be tabulated among God's laborers. That's not our task, to keep up and keep account and to tabulate How many hours have I done for the Lord compared to what you've done? You know, no, we're not to be doing that. It's not about tabulating and keeping account, you know, 
and keeping a record, okay, this is what I've done, this is what you've done, you know, it, it, we're, we're not to be doing that. That's not what the kingdom's about. But rather, it, should, it ought to be more about together rejoicing that we all share the same reward. We all share the same reward that's promised to us. Romans 8 brings that idea out in verse 16 and 17 when he says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what we are. We are God's children now. How do we know that? Well, the Spirit has testified that to us. And he says, and if children, what are we? If you are a child of God in Christ, who are you? He says, if children, you are an heir. An heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There's two kinds of people in this parable. You've got the last group, you've got the first group. And one group is more about, hey, I deserve more than what I'm getting when it comes to my pay and my reward as your laborer. And the other group is getting more than what he deserves, but he's grateful, grateful to have the opportunity to labor under the king. So, which one are we? Which labor are we truly? Are we more like the 12 hours in the heat of the day kind of worker? If that is that our attitude? Or is our attitude more like the 9th and 11th hour laborer? You know, how many hours, how many months, how many years, you know, we've each been working in the Lord's vineyard is not to be counted. That's not what it's about. It's not about counting. Well, I've been a Christian all these years. Well, that's wonderful. And praise the Lord. You've had a long life in the vineyard. But don't count the years. Don't tabulate. Don't tabulate. Well, look how long I've been a Christian. Look how much I've done as a Christian. And think that it is that kind of attitude that we are to have when it comes to the day that we receive our reward. No, but rather we need to be a people who simply are working steadfastly in the kingdom no matter how long or how short it is. That's what it's about. That in the moment... This day, I'm going to do my best to work for the king. I'll try to be diligent, try to be steadfast. And if the Lord gives me breath tomorrow, I'll wake up again and I'll keep trying to be productive to my king, to my savior, to my Lord. Because ultimately, no one in the kingdom, none of us are getting paid truly according to merit. You do not want to be paid according to merit. You don't want that. And none of us are. As redeemed citizens of the king, we're not being paid by merit. 
But actually, we are, we are receiving so much more than what any of us truly deserve. Now, all of us need to be working. You know, we are called to be workers, workers in the kingdom, sowing the seed, you know, sharing the gospel, serving others, ministering to one another. We need to be working. All need to be working in God's field and God's vineyard. And that work gives us meaningful purpose. It gives us very meaningful purpose when we're working for such a gracious, good landowner as described in Matthew chapter 20. And we are. We are. It is under that, and it's under that landowner, under that king, that we are provided for. We have provision under the goodness of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's under their goodness and their care and their watchfulness and their provision that we are blessed abundantly in this life and even more so in the life to come, eternal life. And so what we need to be doing is we need to be welcoming more laborers, don't we? We need to welcome, we need more workers at our side. And we need to be helping our fellow workers to be working for the Lord. And we might have been in the, in the kingdom for three-fourths of our lifetime, but we're, we want more to come. And it's okay if there is someone who comes late in life and their service in the king on earth is very brief. That's all right. We rejoice because it's not about comparing ourselves to one another. It's not about comparing how much you did and how much you know, I did. It's about us together working for the king, laboring in his vineyard, in his field, and encouraging outsiders to become believers, to become followers, to become workers for the Lord. That's what we need to be doing. So, yes, we may be one of those that started at 6 a.m. And someone else can come along later on in our life, and they're going to be the 11th hour in the sense of time. But we don't count that, do we? That's not how we measure things. We simply join hands and join hearts and we work for the king. In conclusion, let's end with this admonition and this exhortation where the apostle Paul to the church at Corinth says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So whether you are the 12-hour guy or the one-hour guy, if we have worked for the king, we've labored in his vineyard, then our labor is not in vain. And to be, to be in the kingdom, to be in the Lord does call for us and require of us to be doing the Lord's work. You know? So this lesson is not saying, okay, you don't have to do anything. No, the point is, what is my attitude when it comes to my working for the king? No, we are to be doing the prescribed things God wants to do as his people. We are his workmanship now, as Ephesians 2 says. No, there is work to be done by all of us. 
And the work specifically do may vary slightly according to our abilities and our opportunities and our resources. But the question right now that we need to ponder is, are you? Are you working for the king? Is that who you're working for in your life? Are you working for the almighty one? He is good. He is gracious. He is merciful. And he will, he will reward you much greater than what you deserve. But are you working for him? So the question is, what are you going to do with that? You have to decide. He, he has come to the marketplace of humanity, and he is calling us, each and every one of us, to come into his vineyard, to come into the field and labor for him. But the decision is up to you. Will you? Will you choose to put yourself under the authority, under the care, under the provision of a king, of an owner, of a God that will bless you in ways greater than what you deserve? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you've not been baptized into his name in accord with his will, we want to encourage you to do that right now, this very hour. If you believe and you're ready to confess your faith with your mouth before others unashamedly that he is the Christ, the Son of God, who died on Calvary's cross and was raised on the third day, and with that confession to repent of your sins and to be baptized into Christ, we want to help you to do that. But you have to make that decision yourself. Will you? Will you come? If you're a Christian, then perhaps... You have, in your working, have somewhat gotten slack in your service to your king. And you might need to make some things right in your life. If we can assist you in praying with you, praying for you, whatever your spiritual need may be, please come forward. Make your wishes known when we stand and sing the song that's been selected.